Today, we are going to explore the history of men who run into burning buildings and put out raging infernos. That's right, we're going to go into the history of the fire department. Although my focus is going to be on the history of the fire department in Battle Creek, Michigan, branching out from there, much of the early history that you will hear mirrors many communities across the state and also the U.S. The evolution of equipment and techniques within the fire departments across our nation have never been considered to be privileged knowledge or exclusive to one locale. No, those that fight fires have always shared information about safety and techniques with others in their ranks for the benefit of all, which makes this group probably the most selfless organization that you will ever encounter. Steeped in a long legacy of courage, determination, and discipline, Fire departments and those that serve with them are among the bravest of the brave, often risking all to save lives and property. They also carry a tradition of innovation that has seen many changes over the decades with the tools and equipment they use in their craft. There was a time, however, in the early years in U.S. history that there was no such organization as we know it today, and fires during those times could be both deadly and devastating. Perhaps the most devastating fire in U.S. history was the fire that lasted three days in October 1871, burning 3.3 square miles of the city of Chicago, killing over 300 people and destroying 17,500 buildings and leaving more than 100,000 people homeless. The cost in today's dollars would approximate $4.7 billion in damages. It was probably the single most significant event to spark communities to start investing in fire equipment for fighting fires within their communities across Michigan and the country. I also came across a story when I was researching the video that I did on BC Squire where he remembered as a child standing outside in Battle Creek in the aftermath of the Chicago fire and seeing a haze of smoke across the city. So the Chicago fire, which lasted three days, left a haze of smoke that spanned all the way into Michigan in Indiana, other parts of Illinois, and probably into Wisconsin. So it was that huge of an event in history. Now, Battle Creek's fire department history goes back to the early days of the city's formation. The first buildings began being constructed around 1831, and up until 1846, there was no lively blaze that ever threatened buildings or homes in the city that could not be easily extinguished quickly with a bucket brigade by neighbors. That changed in the year 1846, however, when there were two fires that were of a larger magnitude. The first occurred when an old wooden ashery at the corner of Jackson and Capitol Avenue burned. Now, you're probably wondering what an ashery is. I certainly did when I was researching this. An ashery was a factory common in newly settled areas of North America in the 18th century to the 19th century, and they converted hardwood ashes into lye by soaking the ashes in hot water. One use of the lye, which was created was to mix it with fats to produce soap, for example. Some other uses for an ashery and lye were to produce byproducts 
called black salt. Without going into a lot of details of what this is, it was ultimately used in the process of glass making. So when the ashery in Battle Creek burned, the usually effective method used for smaller fires, the Bucket Brigade, proved to be absolutely useless and the entire building was destroyed. So that same evening, the villagers met and agreed to acquire a hand engine. Now, a hand engine was often a horse-drawn pump on wheels in those days that could pull water from a fire plug or a water tank or sometimes contained a large tub which was filled with a bucket brigade from a water source. So it was indeed fortunate they had made that decision because on Sunday evening, November 22nd, 1846, the Presbyterian Congregational Church caught fire. Earlier in the evening, at the close of the evening service, a number of those present said that they could smell smoke. A search of the structure was made, but no blaze could be found, and they couldn't find the source of where it was coming from. Now, as it happened, the searchers had neglected to search the garret or attic area, which was where the fire originated from. So it was about midnight when the fire broke out in full force, and every inhabitant in town was roused by the clinging of a warning bell. The bucket brigade, everyone realized, would be helpless. But fortunately, someone happened to think about the new hand engine, which had arrived that morning in the village and was stored at the Michigan Central Freight House. A number of men went for the apparatus and brought it to the church. Now, every man there wanted to operate it, and in the rush, the hose was coupled from the building to the engine instead of vice versa, and there was no order among the workers, and every wannabe helper was in each other's way. So finally, a man named Charles Vale took charge and put a team of men on pumping. Tolman Hall, one of the city's early pioneer settlers, mounted the roof of an adjacent dwelling and, clinging to a chimney, directed the weak stream of the water onto the blaze holding the hose. Now, the nozzle of the hose had been lost in the rush, and it was difficult to keep the water on the fire. Despite this, and although the conflagration was quite large and endangered adjacent buildings, it was brought under control and the church building was saved from total ruin. The hand engine used at the fire came to be known as the gooseneck because of its shape. It had one particular characteristic, often a local joke, that when it was on exhibition, especially on like a July 4th, it refused to work. But whenever there was a fire, it worked perfectly. It was always managed by volunteers who received no pay for their services. On the evening following the church fire, recognizing that there was a need for organization and training to be prepared for future fires, a volunteer company was formed in which Charles Vale was installed as the foreman. Four other men who kept their regular jobs in the community and took no pay for their offered services served with Foreman Vale. The small company was the first organized in Battle Creek and could be justly called the first fire department, although it was not an official city organization. On August 2nd, 1856, the later famous Tempest No. 2 Hand Engine Company was formed with John Nichols from the Nichols and Shepherd Company, and members of this firefighting organization were among the most prominent men in town. During those early years of existence, the company maintained a leading position 
among volunteer fire companies in the state, and they took part in many tournaments, winning victories at competitions, according to Washington Gardner's book, A History of Calhoun County. When the Civil War came, a number of them joined up, and the Tempest No. 2 Hand Engine Fire Company broke up. On May 11, 1863, during the Civil War, the Common Council in Battle Creek appointed a committee with the authority to purchase a Button and Blake steam fire engine. This was the brand of a manufacturing company of steam fire engines in the day. The committee reported that they had selected an engine that weighed 4,000 pounds with a hose cart, which was 800 feet in length, and the city purchased the unit for $5,000. Now, Tempest Number no. 2 Hand Engine Company was reorganized again following the Civil War on March 1st, 1872, and during the 1870s, it was the champion hand engine company in Michigan. In 1871, it won the state championship in a meet in Kalamazoo, and in 1875, it won the title again at Jackson, where it did the best work on record for a hand engine group of its day. In 1878, there was, in addition to Tempest Number no. 2 Hand Engine Company, the following other firefighting units that had formed. Tempest Hose No. 2, Union Hose No. 1, Gogwack Hook and Ladder, and Union Steam No. 1, all of which had headquarters in the city hall. So there was much bravado and rivalry among the units of volunteers, but all in the name of public safety. The Gogwack Hook and Ladder Company had formed in 1874, and was equipped with one 30-foot practice ladder, one scaling and two extension ladders, and eight Babcock extinguishers. But it was the Union Hose Company number one that came to be organized into the first paid group of firefighters in the city. The company claimed the title in the world championship in attaching hose to hydrant and laying pipe. Many prizes in cash and the customary belt were won by these men, who defeated every other company that they ever competed with. For instance, in 1882, there was a fireman's tournament held at Michigan City, Indiana, and also at Niles, Michigan. In this, they were the victors in both, and they brought home with them prizes totaling nearly $1,000 at the time. The unit totaled about 12 men. The competitions in which they participated were held annually anywhere from Charlotte to Chicago. Following one such occasion, the city presented the men with red flannel shirts and belts as a token of esteem. Now, the men, the men didn't like the color and didn't like the flannel shirts, so they went out and they purchased their own uniforms of blue and buff, which they wore only on state occasions. The first regularly organized fire department located at City Hall consisted of Tempest Hand Engine Company Number no. 2, with whom Thomas Hart of Hart Mills was the foreman at that time, and also Protection Hand Engine Company Number no. 1, whom William Andrews, the pioneer druggist, was the foreman. There was also the Tempest Hose Company Number no. 2 and the Union Hose Cart Company Number no. 1. Among the early records one can find, in 1880, there were 21 fire alarms, and the losses from those fires that year 
totaled fifty thousand and two hundred and fifty dollars in eighteen eighty one the same number of alarms was reported but in that year the losses amounted to sixty eight thousand three hundred and ninety five dollars however those figures were offset in eighteen eighty three when losses were only one thousand eight hundred and twenty nine dollars an amusing incident occurred in 1881 when Bellevue appealed to the city of Battle Creek for aid in fighting a fire. The fire broke out on January 18th and a telegram was sent to the local mayor who was Edwin C. Nichols, successor to his father as the head of the Nichols and Shepherd Company. As the fire chief reported, when the Bellevue asked for aid, the telegram was hand-delivered to the mayor immediately, who was at the barber shop at the time. The mayor granted the aid, and several firefighters caught a Grand Chunk passenger train and arrived in Bellevue ahead of the apparatus they used to fight fires with, as this had been loaded on a special train. They arrived ahead of time so that they could take time to break up the ice and clear a pathway to the water supply. The apparatus sent included a steamer and hose company number one and number five, which consisted of about 35 men, and along with them came a number of local spectators. So did Mayor Nichols, as this was the first time Battle Creek had ever assisted with an out-of-town fire. So I guess the amusing thing is that so many people showed up with the mayor that they could have practically stamped out the fire by themselves. In a 1934 article in the Battle Creek Moon Journal written by historian and writer Elizabeth Holmberg, Fire Chief William Weeks, who at the time was the one holding the office, joined the fire station unit in 1880 and became fire chief in 1892. He described that the first motor car used in the department was a squad car known as the Red Onion. At the time the article was written in 1834, the original four fire stations were still in operation around the city of Battle Creek. Station number one was located on West Jackson Street in the block between Capitol Avenue and and McCamley Street. This station no longer exists, but its placement can be located on the old Sanborn fire maps in the city. It was a beautiful building with three stone arch entrances and stood three stories tall with a bell tower attached and the stables in the rear for horses. Station number one was the central hub of the fire department in the city in its day. Station number two was located on North Washington Street near Manchester Street, which still exists today and is in operation as part of the fire department of the city of Battle Creek. It's a two-story brick building with two arch entrances designed in the day for steam engines and horses. Station number three was located at Cliff Street, and it also is still in operation. It is a fieldstone building design with a round turn on the corner, which used to have a double bay opening in the front, and at one time had stables attached for the horses. The final station, number four, was located on North Kendall Street near the Grand Trunk Railroad tracks. This building still exists today, but it's known as the Fire Hub Restaurant run by Firekeepers Casino. It, too, is a beautiful brick and stone building with a turret, and it had at one time stone arch entrances for the steam wagons and horses. In 1934, there were 69 men at work 
in the Battle Creek Fire Department. The first motor apparatus to be put into commission was done on May 15, 1912. It was the number two pump at the time, which was still in use at the number two station. And this pump had originally been used at fire station number one. In the year 1912, the equipment strength and personnel of station number one consisted of one motor car, as I described earlier, one combination chemical engine and hose motor car, one combination pumping engine, a chemical engine and hose car, and one 65-foot aerial hook and ladder truck pulled by three horses. It had William Weeks as the chief. It also had a captain and a lieutenant and 14 full-paid firemen. Station number two had one combination chemical engine and horse wagon, which was horse-drawn, and one extra first-sized steam fire engine, which included a 1,000-gallon-a-minute capacity. And this was also a horse-drawn vehicle. George Collins was the captain, along with a lieutenant and four full-paid firemen. Station number three had one combination chemical engine and hose wagon, which was also horse-drawn. And a man named E.E. Sager was the captain, along with the lieutenant and three full-paid firemen. Station number four had one combination chemical engine and horse wagon, one-third-sized steam fire engine, which could carry 500 gallons per minute, which was also horse-drawn. And it also had a fire alarm system with 92 boxes and a 10,000-foot, 2.5-inch cotton rubberized hose. Now, this station had Captain W.H. Fisher along with a lieutenant and three full-time paid firemen. The entire yearly maintenance of the department in 1912 was $40,000. The firefighters, over the many decades since the earliest time that they were formed, had to fight many difficult fires. It's impossible to chronicle all of these events, but here are some of the more memorable ones that they fought. In 1902, probably the most notable one in the history of the city up to that point, was the sanitarium fire, which saw the building as a total loss. The building was eventually rebuilt, abandoning the wood construction of the prior building for a new stone and brick building, which still exists today as the Federal Center in downtown. In 1909, the Haskell Home for Orphans burned, killing three children. I'll include a link to a video that I made on the history of this Haskell Home and the Haskell Home Cemetery in the description. In 1911, the East End shed in the city burned killing one man and 21 horses that same year in december there was a fire on east main street which destroyed several buildings adjacent to it in downtown and in 1922 the seventh day adventist dime tabernacle burned this building was also rebuilt with stone and brick of a different design one such fire was reported in the newspaper in 1933 where they managed to put it out in very difficult conditions. It was a commercial garage fire on East Van Buren Street, and the temperatures outside at the time was 14 degrees below zero, and it was probably the most challenging fire that year for the fire department because of the cold temperatures. In 1945, following the $400,000 loss in a fire of the Stone Arcade Building in downtown, considered to be at the time the worst fire in the city's recent history, it became magnified that the existing fire ordinances originally written in 1880 in the horse and buggy era were somewhat outdated.
outdated. It was resolved by city officials and citizen demand that the ordinances needed revisions to prevent future fires. The original ordinance had sensible rules such as the requirement for bakeries to be only placed in buildings with exterior brick walls, for example, but it also completely made no mention of fire safety requirements for theaters, taverns, hotels, or the requirement for fire inspections, fire escapes, which were becoming generally recognized in state fire regulations at the time. So it was in this year that the fire ordinance in the city saw its first major overhaul to accommodate the progress made over the prior 65 years. In 1949, fire losses trended downward in and around Battle Creek, as in that year, Penfield, Bedford, and Emmett Townships agreed to join the Battle Creek radio network, allowing all four fire departments to stay in contact with their headquarters by radio, even on calls to remote parts of their territories. Major events in the history changed the way fire safety was addressed across the nation. The Chicago Fire of 1871 was just the beginning. The local fires in Battle Creek in the early 1900s saw the expansion of the fire stations. And Fire Station Number 2, for example, was built in 1903 on Washington Avenue, specifically following the sanitarium fire. And it was placed where it was because of the size of the sanitarium and and the fire that they had to put out when it burned a year prior. Fire station number three's location was obviously influenced by the location of the Post and Kellogg factories, and fire station number four was located to be adjacent to the railroad and other manufacturing in that area of town. And all of those three fire stations kind of were built within a few years following the sanitarium fire. Perhaps the most significant fire that changed fire safety across the country occurred on December 3rd, 1903 in Chicago. When the Chicago Iroquois Theater was packed with school children and families watching the matinee performance of Mr. Bluebeard, a fire started backstage as flames licked at the fabrics and smoke curled towards the ceiling. The capacity crowd of more than 1,800 people panicked, rushing for the exits onto Randolph Street and jammed against the doors that opened inward. Other doors were nearly impossible to open. Stairwells that opened into one exit area were clogged. Many people in the balconies found themselves trapped in a crush of people. So within minutes, paint-soaked scenery and rushing air from the backstage doors stoked a giant fireball that filled the theater's auditorium, fatally scorching many that were still in their seats. Firefighters showed up and put the fire out in 30 minutes, but not before the worst theater fire in American history, with 602 people dead, more than twice the toll of the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, and many more people were injured and burned. Among the dead were 37 school teachers and several hundred children. On January 4, 1904, the mayor of Chicago ordered all of the schools in the city closed in honor of the lost teachers. News of this incident was carried around the world, and not only in Chicago, but from New York to Germany, officials who up to then had let building ordinance and laws go unenforced began shuttering theaters for inspections. 
The Eagle Opera House in Marshall closed in January 1904, just a few months after this incident, for example, over fire safety concerns. Public outcry brought new laws with fire regulations, stricter fire codes, which were written, and insurance standards were raised. Changes were made that we take for granted in present day, such as exit doors on all public buildings that open outward, lighted exit signs, and fire-resistant scenery and curtains. All of these things were implemented. Capacity limits on public theaters and spaces, fire escapes on two-story buildings, and a lot of other fire safety features started to come into existence in local fire codes and ordinances across the nation. In 2003, the city of Chicago installed a new plaque commemorating the 100th anniversary of the Iroquois Theater fire and the lessons that resonated from that incident that changed fire safety around the U.S. and other parts of the world. So as fire safety evolved, so did did the firefighting equipment and the personnel over the years. Fire departments today no longer have horse-drawn carriages and steam fire engines, but they have motorized vehicles and fire engines that can get there quickly and carry large amounts of water with them, even when a water source is not present. They can have boom trucks with long ladders. All of these things were developed and created by those that fought the fires, as well as engineers working with fire departments to create safety features for the firemen themselves, as well as equipment to help them get to the fire and put it out closely in a safe condition. So the history of the fire departments across the country are built upon painful lessons learned in the past, along with innovation, ingenuity, and bravery. It's a legacy to be proud of, and it endures to this day. So that's going to conclude today's episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss future episodes of these great chapters in Southwest Michigan history. And if you want to find out more about me, check out my website at michaeldelaware.com and most definitely subscribe to my YouTube channel, which you can find at Michael Delaware by searching YouTube, or I'll put the links to all of these things down in the description. So thanks for coming along with me on this journey. And I hope that you will join me next time.